Hello and welcome to our viewers on cruxinvestor.com and to our listeners on Cruxcast, our podcast series. And to those of you who are new to Crux Investor, please remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're talking today to Christian Malau, he's the CEO of Equinox Gold. He's going to talk to us about Ross Beatty, ETFs and their effect on the marketplace, M&A, their new investment partner, and also his view on the gold market. You can see the timestamps of all of those topics on the description below. But right now, let's talk to Christian. Hello, Christian. How are you? Yeah, good morning. Uh, great to be back. Yeah, we, we spoke back in February. Lots happened since then. I guess we'll get into that in a minute. But why don't you kick off for new, newcomers to the story? Give us a sort of one, two minute overview of the business. Yeah, so we're we're now a mid-tier gold mining company based in the Americas. Um, we've now got one producing mine in Brazil, which we'll talk about, but also we've got a producing mine in California, and we've got another one we want to build in California in the next sort of starting in the next six months here. So hmm. um, we're now going to be a three-asset company that's focused on the Americas with you know roughly two hundred thousand ounces plus of production today, and with a goal of going to four to five hundred thousand ounces of production in the next few years. So we've got a nice platform in this kind of market where gold seems to be picking up. Yep, yep, okay. Let's get on to that in a second. We've had a few questions in from subscribers. I'd uh, love to throw a couple of the, those at you. They're really about the origins of this all because obviously you've brought together three assets, gold assets. You've got some big names attached to those assets, Ross, BT, uh, Richard, Walk, and you, you know your team, obviously. Tell us about that first conversation that you had. I mean, how, how did this come together? Yeah, it was interesting. I guess with, with Ross, um, he had a Brazilian asset and company called Anfield back in the day, uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. We started with Luna Gold, which was the Brazilian asset Arizona, which we now put into production. Mm -hmm. um, we had some commonality and um, we obviously interact here in Vancouver on a regular basis, see each other, it's a small city. And we'd always talked about well, how's it going in Brazil and, and what do you plan to do in the future? And we realized that we had the same vision and goal we both want to create sort of that mid-tier to larger gold mining company at this bottom point of the gold cycle. Um, Ross's vision is really around building something in gold that's very similar to Pan American Silver, which is now an 11 mine company, which is a good larger silver company and wants to do the same in gold at this point. And my view is do the same as we've done recently, myself and some other team uh, at Endeavor Mining. You know, start with one asset and try and build it into four to six assets over time. So we really had the same vision. And Ross said, look, he started his career with Equinox Resources back in the 80s and 90s, and that was a success. And he wouldn't mind bookending it with something like this at the end. And we suggested the name Equinox Gold, and he loved it. Right. So, hey, that into my career. So, I mean, is it one of those, uh, the sum of the parts stories? You know, you get some people are very protective over their assets and they want to do their thing and they don't need any help. But you guys all seem to have a, a track record of bringing together assets and building something bigger and therefore hopefully yeah. better for shareholders is that what happened I absolutely absolutely believe that i mean to put it in real context we sat in a room together myself and greg on our side uh, richard warp from uh, the newcastle side and, and ross from the enfield side and we sat in the room for a couple of hours and we said hey with no advisors no lawyers anything we said hey what is our vision it was common who could run this who wants to be the face of it and contribute to the financing of it 
And we actually came up with a board and structure very quickly and evaluation effectively that at least got it kicked off. And that was all because we had the common vision. Richard Wark, again, has worked with Ross over the years and building companies like Ventana and other things. Right. And, and Ross tends to be more of the market-facing person of the group and was very happy to take the chairmanship. And obviously, myself and the team are very happy to run the business. So there was no stepping on each other's toes. It really fit together nicely. So, so how does something like that work? You obviously got you've got two assets in California. You've got one in South America. They're they're all gold, so there's that in common. But they're all slightly different phases of development. So, how did you imagine that coming together, and and how's that indeed happened? I mean, it almost worked better because there were different stages or phases. So we had the one producing asset in California. So that's mm-hmm. kind of our our starting point, we can actually use that for leveraging off knowledge, skills, et cetera, mm-hmm. and reporting all these different sort of techniques of managing the business. And then we had one in construction in Cal- in Brazil. And then we had a third one, which is sort of in that study phase in the pipeline that could be constructed after we finished Arizona and Brazil. So when you put them together, you actually have a nice runway to becoming a mid-tier producer mm. into the system rather than just slamming together three operating minds with different cultures. We're able to actually put them together, build the culture as we go. Right, okay, because I, I actually watched our interview from, from February uh, this morning, uh, run, run through it, remind myself what we talked about. Now, the big theme that came through there was, not only do you have these three assets, but you've got access to cash. You've got both, both Ross and Richard are very capable individuals with track records, you are too, um, but cash wasn't an issue for you. And in the, where we are in the cycle, you know, we talked about how advantageous uh, that is for you in terms of being able to pick up assets cheap and perhaps we can get on some M&A in a minute. But can you t- just again to remind people, you know, uh, you know, on, on the financial side, you know, where, where, where you started, you have these three assets, you know, some, some assets you, you offloaded, some on the copper side, but what did you start with, you know, and how did you value those? And let's and we'll maybe get into, you know, where they are today. Yeah, so when we did put this together, we had obviously the three gold assets, which were going to be the core to our business. We had a couple of, I would call them smaller. One was a processing mill in Peru. One was a small gold project in BC. And then we had a bunch of copper assets. So what we decided was we're going to focus on the core value creating gold assets. Mm-hmm. We spun out the copper assets last summer into a separate vehicle, which I'm happy to talk about, but we're excited. And we still own 40% of called Solaris Copper. Then we sold the mill in Peru to a, a local operator, I would call it. And then we sold the BC gold asset just recently to a local group here because they were too small, not going to create enough value in a company now our size. We're now six, $700 million market cap. Yeah. So we're focused now on the gold, pure gold assets of scale. So do some simple math for me. So you brought three assets together, which were valued at what? Oh boy, I guess when we brought them together, we bought Mesquite for just over $150 million. Mm-hmm. Um, Arizona and Luna Gold, when it came in, I, I can't remember the exact valuation, but I'm going to say it was between 150 and 200. Right. And then Castle again was 150 to $175 million. And right. we put them together. The nice thing today that we're excited about is you see that our market cap is now greater than the sum of those parts. Yeah. Uh, we're now. 725, 725, it told me this morning. There you go. Yeah. Uh, But how much money have you raised uh, in there as well, which is obviously, you know, G&A, CapEx, et cetera? Yeah, so we've probably, during that process, we probably raised, I'm going to say it's $50 million, maybe it was up to 70. Um, 
to help finish the funding on Arizona in Brazil. But what we've really done on the funding side that's more interesting is we've restructured the balance sheet completely, which again, I'm happy to explain. Yeah, well, tell, that, us, tell us about that, because obviously we've, we've seen mention of, you know, Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund in there and um, obviously project refinancing as well. So why don't you give, give us that before we get into the projects proper? So everything over the last 18 months has probably moved faster than we even expected. Um, we've had great support from guys like Ross and Richard and, and some of our core shareholders. And so we originally had a project finance loan from Sprott that was coupon of 10% that was financing the build in Brazil. It's expensive money, but we were a single asset development company. It was unfunded when that went into place. So it was market. Mm -hmm. Then we had an acquisition facility from Scotiabank and a group of other lenders that came in to acquire Mesquite. So you had siloed structured financing or debt that sat at the asset level. What we did in, I guess it was February we announced, and we just completing it right now is we've paid out the actual loan that was project finance in Brazil right. replaced it with the Mubadala corporate or sorry, convertible note, which is sitting at the corporate level and paying a 5% coupon and brings in a partner that is a, you know, basically a trillion dollar sovereign wealth fund that is there to help us grow the business in the future. So they've replaced some expensive debt with sort of half the coupon cost, but they're also there to grow long-term as a shareholder and funding partner. So you bring that up to the corporate level. And the second piece was we took the same banking group that funded Mesquite mm -hmm. and repaid and refinanced that acquisition loan and brought it up to the corporate level. And now it's a corporate revolver that we can borrow and repay. It's a little bit larger instead of 100 million, it's now 130. So we now have all of our debt sitting at the corporate level. All of our cash flows are fungible and free to move amongst all the assets in our organization and they're all growth partners. So as we grow, they all want to be able to fund us in a bigger way. Yeah, I mean, and again, we did talk about that last time and I, and I do want to talk about it in, in a minute, but let, let's just quickly um, go through, I think, a point which is talked about in the chat rooms, et cetera, and that's your ability to prove the um, economics around the Brazilian asset and get that going, you know, bringing that to market. So where are you with that? Yeah, so we finished the construction in, I would say, sort of early May, mm -hmm. and we were commissioning the asset. It was probably about a quarter behind, so a little disappointed with that. Right. Um, Why was that? Basically, you know, it was no major factor. I mean, the rains were very heavy this year. I think we've had three and a half meters of rain in the first three to four months, where right. normally you get 28 or 2.9 for the whole year. So it was a very heavy year. So doing electrical terminations and that in the rain is, you know, you're probably 50% productivity for that work. There's a bit of extra piping and scheduling work at the very end. So nothing that I would say was a major incident, like the mills, you know, falling off the truck or the ship or something. Right. And, um, and then so no, no, no issues. No, sorry, I just want to say that no issues from the Brazilian government, obviously, you know, very high profile incident earlier this year. But are they no, more the nervous? Brazilian government, give them their credit. They actually delivered us our operating license the day we poured gold. Normally it comes about six months after you pour gold. So I would say actually a real tick to them, a tick a check in that box where they delivered it early. Um, and in terms of inspections on tailings down, which obviously are a big thing in Brazil right now, yeah. um, as soon as that incident happened early in the year, they were inspecting all the dam sites around the country and they did come to ours, of course, and we were just in final stages of getting it into uh, readiness, state of readiness. And basically we, our design is not an upstream dam like uh, Valet had there and had the issues with, which is mm -hmm. inherently less stable. This is downstream and center line, which is uh, inherently much more stable and 
we're very happy with the inspections actually the results so, so what do you think has happened there do you think obviously it can go one of two ways it, people the, the government can get or the ministry of mines can get very very nervous and take longer to get things done or because it's damaging to the reputation of what is a mining, you know, big mining country, they try and accelerate things to make say we're open for business. I mean, what's your sense of what's going on there? I almost think they're accelerating things at the moment um, because of the urgency and the need uh, with the recent incidents there. Right. And I do think when they're not happy, I, I would suspect it was going to take longer to permit. There will be more hurdles to jump than that. But if you're doing things on the international standard basis, you know, that it is expected of companies like ours, you, know, you really shouldn't have problems. Right. And we haven't experienced any. Right, and, and so the, the, the team that are down there, they're experienced with South America, Brazil in, in particular, um, quarter behind, but you know, unfortunate event is what you're going with. Yeah, and so, you know, what we said was, all right, sorry, we're a little bit behind, it's a little bit over budget, or probably about 10% over budget overall, which in the scheme of things, three months and 10% over is not the end of the world. It's a bit of a shame. Mm -hmm. um, but the interesting part is since May 14th, when we did pour gold, we've now gone for about 30 days of production. And we are now producing or putting through the mill more than the rated capacity. So I think we are at 8,000 tons a day of our rated capacity. And some days we've gone up to sort of nine ten thousand tons so it's very nice to see that you're ten percent plus over right. the mill is actually capable of performing at the expected levels right were there any doubts in your mind as to whether brazil would work out or not or is it all gone swimmingly i think anyone who would say there isn't a risk or doubt would be kind of kidding but uh we did feel that we were investing in this project to make make it successful the idea was not to cut corners because of the past history here. When they originally built this in 2008 or nine, um, they didn't have a proper, they didn't have a crusher at all. And they didn't have a proper milling circuit. It was a fairly old six year old asbestos mill from Quebec. So it, it was almost set up to have challenges and it still performed okay. So we figured if we spent the money and put in the proper equipment with professional contractors, you were, you're bound to have good success here in due course. Right, right, okay. And, and just so if I may come back on the, on the, refi that you, the refinancing that you did, um, do you th think there's a competitor? I know you've sent, you've got it all at corporate level now, which is you know much easier to deal with. Um, and you've refinanced that you've got a little bit, a little bit more ca cash there, a bit more flexibility. Are you happy with the with the terms there, or is it a case of actually I like who it's from? Because obviously Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund has a lot of cash available, and if it likes what you're doing, that bodes well for M and A activity, which we, we talked about previously. Um, so are we happy with those terms? Uh, we're, we're extremely happy. I mean, when you look at that convertible bond, we have a partner who is not out there shorting or hedging your stock, you know, like a normal convertible might be with normal hedge funds and art funds. They're right. a long-term investor. They have no short-term time horizons. Um, they wanted to work with Ross and Ross has probably been talking to them on and off for at least five or 10 years. And I think they were excited to partner with someone to build a great gold mining company that they could trust. And so I think we got really good terms and we looked at various market comps and what we might have been able to do in the market. And I think mm. we farted those. Right. And so, so why, why a convert? They, you know, they could have structured it any, any way, right? They, they, they got the money, they could, they could paper it up anyway. So why a convert? Why did that work for you? Um, it's interesting. I mean, at this stage of our involvement and growth and development, um, 
they would like to be a long-term equity holder, but they're used to actually making investments. So I'm going to use a big round number, but of a half a billion dollars. So it's a very small investment of 130 million for them to come in. There was a debt instrument in piece in place already that could be refinanced and clearly replaced. Mm. And it gave them that link ultimately to being an equity investor, which we would like them to be in the long term, because I think um, they would be a long core stable shareholder along the likes of uh, Richard and Ross. So it was kind of almost this, this hybrid interim instrument that allowed you to solve your current debt, expensive debt situation, but sort of link, link them into a long-term equity position. Um, and it's a smaller ticket than they're used to. So it, it does, I guess, uh, come in a form that gives them a little more security on day one than it would if it's pure equity on a small check basis. Yeah, yeah, some, 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 whatever the, what is the coupon on that? Five percent. Five. Okay. Wow. Okay. Not bad. Um, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Um, and, and what are the rest of the terms on that then? So it's a five-year term. It's a five percent coupon. It converts at a twenty-five to twenty-seven percent premium, depending on what share price you're using. Right. So that's a dollar thirty-eight Canadian. Yeah. Um, interestingly, when we announced it uh, in February, the share price went up, and we've seen so many people announce convertibles that are market-oriented, where the convert where the actual share price goes down. People are shorting your stock, yep. the ARBs and funds. Ours did the opposite. So we saw it as a nice vote of confidence that we had a long-term partner. And one of the biggest things I had was I was at a conference at the time. I had a lot of other peers come to us and say, can you make an introduction? How can we get access to that capital? It looks like a great partner that's there to stick with you through the ups and downs of the cycle. And right now, as you know, we're towards the bottom end of our cycle. And the smaller the company, the harder it is to finance. And uh, yeah. I think we've been able above our weight a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, to, to just stay on that point a bit. So, I mean, you did you did have a, a bit of a spike and then it kind of came down as, as low as one, you know, 101 on a couple of occasions and you're back up at 131-ish again. So yeah. you, you've had a few, what, what, what do you think those drops were? I mean, you, well, the one thing for sure, I mean, gold, I think had its dip, although it's obviously much more positive. I think it hit 1350 this morning. So it's much more positive. I think we're in the 1270 to 80, 90 range, mm -hmm. you know, and below 1300, I see there's not a lot of conviction from some of the precious metal funds, some of the generalists, they really want to see it pop over 1350 to really get some confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, the other side was we were right in that crux period of finishing off Arizona. And until you announce you poured gold or you're in commercial production, people have their doubts and yeah. Um, you know, I guess rightfully so. They want to see that there's no hiccups and major issues along the way. And we weren't able to announce that till May 14th. So we had the double whammy of those two items, I think. Right. So, okay. 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 Understood. So, Mibadla, they, they're in. They're partner yeah. now, equity and debt. Um, what are their expectations? I seem no board seat for that. Um, but, you know, they... They, they have a big say in what, what they expect you to do, presumably, or are they a passive uh, investor? Um, no, they do have a board seat. They, they do, do get okay, one board sorry. Okay. And they, uh, they are partners with Ross in many ways here, and they see themselves on a pro forma basis, they would be an 18% shareholder if you were to convert it all. Right. Um, so we think of them as a, a core shareholder also, you know, in the long term. So. Uh, we very much want to work with them and, and they their vision is actually very similar to ours and they want to grow into a, a larger scale gold mining company. So we will definitely look to them to support us on growth activities being acquisitions or growth internally. So if we go back to the first question, which is how did you guys come together and what was it? It was a, it was a common thought about what you could do with Mabadla on board. 
Has that thought changed? Have your horizons expanded? Um, I think it gives us, maybe it gives a bit more impetus to move quicker, or at least it gives us the ability to think uh, a bit more actively about how we can grow this business now, right. because we know there's availability of capital in the nearer term, and we don't have to necessarily go and source it from new sources if we do find an acquisition opportunity. Yeah, so that, that, so that saves a lot of time. Um, so again, just remind people the type of company you are. You, 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 you're, you're kind of a, a bulk processor of, of, of gold. You're not chasing veins around the place. So if you just quickly describe that for people, because I want, I want to ask you about that. Yeah, I mean, our three or our two operating mines and our third to come into operation are really our larger open pit mines. So they're big dirt moving exercises. You've sort of described it. Mm. Um, our goal here is to build scale and to be a growth oriented company. And, and we're not shying away from growth. And a lot of the bigger companies in this part of the cycle have been paying down debt and I'd say call it right sizing or, or making themselves smaller and selling off assets where we're trying to actually do the opposite because as the cycle does turn, we'll have already been ahead of that curve. And we've set a target and it's maybe a round number, but you know, we'd like to be a million ounces a year by the around the end of 2023. What are you today? So we're probably 200 to 230,000 today. And with the assets we have in our pipeline, we could go to four to 500. So roughly halfway there. Right. And so the goal, you'll need to add another, at least two assets, I think, along the way to get to that sort of mark. And it doesn't right. have to be a million, but it's a good target. Yeah, nice round number, as you say. So if, if I look at the type of company you are, the, the type of business that you're good at being, this the large earth processing business, you, you've got the skill sets there. Um, to find those types of assets globally at the moment, uh, well, I know you're kind of America's focus, but that I guess there's no, res no restricting you. Um, people don't sell good assets cheaply, and the gold price is going up, right? So yeah. have you guys found things that you're looking at or are you constantly evaluating now? You know, what's the chances of some M&A activity this year? Yeah, I mean, we've been really inward looking because of finishing off the build at Arizona and that, so and finishing off the integration of Mesquite. So I'd say we hadn't been looking externally, but I would say in the last month or so, you know, Greg and, and Ross particularly have gotten really active again, thinking about what we could acquire. And so you look at several categories. You've got single asset producers out there. You do have a few multi-asset producers that are listed. You also have the major gold companies emerging and there will be some cast off assets or some they'll sell it. They may be good or not good, but they also might be just too small for them. And that's one of the challenges now as a big company and they might fit us perfectly. There are a few private assets owned by private equity groups that will come available in the next few years. So, and then there's the smaller strategic assets that might be earlier stage for us. Maybe they're not perfect for us today, but could fit into our pipeline in a year or two. So there's a bunch of different categories and we prefer to be in the Americas to start, but we aren't completely closing the door to Europe and Africa and Oceania necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think there's a lot of people with a lot of ideas, and every I think it's uh, like one of those when a celebrity turns up in a in a capital city, people talk about it, and I think Ross has been spied yeah. at various locations, so people are making ah. assumptions. <laughs> um, not not least yeah. South various parts of South America, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes and where, where that leads. But now is the time, you know, for, again, from what you said before, now's the time. Now, while it's cheap, you know, that the, the price of gold is going up slowly, the confidence is slowly, well, would you agree with that? Is it slowly returning? I think it's slowly returning, but it's, it's still, 
when you talk to our peers and you're out there, it's still pretty depressing, maybe not the right words, but yeah. a bit uh, power, but um, people are pretty, uh, they're struggling to find new money, shareholders, people to, to get invested and interested at the smaller scale. And I'm talking sub a billion dollars sort of market cap. Um, interestingly, it was two Fridays ago, we had a big block trade for 20 million shares. So, yeah. And Sandstorm sold their whole position to a new long-term only fund who is not a gold investor. I mean, they do invest in a little bit of gold, but historically they invested all across different sectors and they have a good 25 year track record. Um, so we're really excited to see that kind of money coming into our stock number one, but also into the sector where there are people who are generalists who've been talking about investing in gold who are now making taking some action. And I think this last little tweak here where you know the dollar hasn't fallen off a cliff and it's stayed reasonably strong the markets are a little bit wobbly and people are looking for somewhere else to invest their money and gold has become a little more popular. And I think getting close to 1350 and maybe if we can hold it for a little period here, I think there is some conviction that we'll start coming back somewhere above 1350. Um, could we drop back down? Absolutely. But uh, it does feel a little more positive. Yeah, I mean, it does. I, th I think, you know, Ross was interviewed recently talking about the gold price and, you know, saying, and end of 2017, 2018, even though gold price went up, equity, the equities fell down. It was, it, it, these are sort of strange times where normal rules don't seem to apply. And you know, we talked previously about the distractions of cannabis and Bitcoin and blockchain before that. And, um, and I think, well, Bitcoin is coming, coming back again, but do you think those distractions have gone away? And this is just about people wanting to sort of see how the geopolitical dust settles or it's just more fundamentally fundamentally about the dollar i think some of that speculative money in, in cannabis and uh, cryptocurrencies has come off the boil i wouldn't say it's gone away because people are still making some money but it's not easy money anymore and i do think consolidation in both those sectors will happen um and people lose interest when they can make a quick dollar in the first three months of investment you know and I think gold is seen as a is now coming to the right point in the cycle. And I think with the markets sort of rolling over, I don't think anything major has happened there yet. And the dollar may be going to have a rougher patch with all these trade issues hanging out there and all the excess debt in the, in the system. And interestingly, for the first time in years, they're talking about interest rate cuts. And I, I'm actually surprised they're talking about that so quickly and so mm. soon. That seems like to me a little early, but... If we're talking about interest rate cuts, it can only be good for gold because it'll probably impact the dollar ultimately. And uh, you know, right now, gold is seen as as one of those uh, bombed out industries and sectors that most other sectors are not in that position. Most other ones have had a good run over the last nine, ten years, at least at some point. So we are maybe going to be uh, the one sector that's seen as having some value today. Yeah, it'd be, well, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out because I say I don't think the normal rules have applied over the t past couple of years with with regards Politics to gold. Complicated now, right? Yeah, and very, that's the hard part. Very complicated. It is very, very, very difficult. Now you said something like a throw. Well, you had a throwaway line there. You're, you're no one unless you're over a billion bucks, right? Um, yeah. You're at seven hundred and twenty-five. <laughs> you, you know. Another acquisition, you could get to a billion, but like you say, a billion bucks company—that's that's nothing, really, because 
For the US, it isn't. For the, for the US, it isn't. But also, is that how you, you measure yourself? Is it to do with market cap? Is it to do with shareholder returns? Is it to do with how many assets you got? Is it to do with the potential exit in the future? What, what's, I mean, what are you targeting? The thing that really matters is shareholder returns here. And, and the reason I say that is, I mean, Ross owns 12%. Richard owns about six. I have my small stake, but it's very meaningful. Personally, you know, I really don't care if I'm a billion dollar company, half a billion or three billion. But you've got a five-year plan. We talked previously about a five-year plan. You've got a five-year yeah. plan. It, today doesn't matter so much. It's like, where's the end point? And, you know, yeah. I assume... It's not a quarterly business. We're it's trying not a quarterly not to business, right, right. Okay. Quarterly result or whatever. I mean, that's something where the UK, I do actually admire the system where it's on a six monthly basis, where in a way it allows management to put their head down for every six months and focus on the business and not have to worry about each quarterly reporting period. But we have that five-year plan. We're working hard to get towards it. We've now put in place the financiers to allow us to, we believe is deliver it. And interestingly, that billion dollar mark, I mean, that's not exactly right. But if you're not in any of the indices and the passive funds, and I know there's a big difference between Europe and, and the UK in particular versus North America now, so much of the money over here in North America has moved into the ETS and passive funds. I was going to ask I you, know is, that, is, that, is that being distracting correct. for you? Sorry to interrupt. So I was going to ask you, you know, how distracting have ETFs been to you as a company? It's very distracting, partly because you can't talk to them, right? How do you convince them to buy your shares? Because they have to buy or have to sell. But on the other side of it, we are not in one ETF or indice, but we are getting on to the cusp and threshold of getting into them. And once you're in them and you have to have that buying, I mean, I've had someone say to me, there's 30 million shares worth of buying coming once we get into GDXJ, you know, and our key stumbling point is liquidity. But with this big block trade last week or the week before and the daily liquidity over the last few weeks is well in excess of a million shares, we should in due course get a good shot at getting into the indices later in the year. And what we're going to do to help that along is work hard to list in the U.S., and to move up to the TSX. We have two California assets and we have a lot of US shareholders and interested parties in the US. I gotta believe that both of those events will help us in addition add liquidity in a really good market. I think, well, for sure. But so what do you what do you think the criteria is to get on the GD, GDSJ? I mean, you do need to be a certain size in that. And I know lots of companies are a lot smaller than us that are listed, but it's roughly a million dollars a day of trading. Right. That's the key one. And it's over an extended period. And I can't remember if it's 30, 60 or 90 type days, but it, it's long enough where you need to keep it up and you can't just have these little blips. It's going to get you in there. So yeah. our goal really is trade for the quarter, at least over a 90 day period, you know, million dollars a day plus and uh, look to get added to one of these exchange to the indices later in the year. And part of the other benefit to us is we'll have two operating mines. I mean, we haven't had an operating quarter yet from mm. Arizona. So we've got, two operating quarters or two operating mines for a quarter or two and you're in various different stock exchanges have greater liquidity and we've had this uptick in gold i gotta believe that momentum is moving us in the right direction right i'd agree with you and you know i think that's that's good news that you you're at that point now just on the market still we talked about etfs but you know there people talk about the sector being underinvested. okay you know what that means that's got to be a good thing for you, hasn't it? In terms of what you're trying to create here, the scale of what you're trying to create right now. It's fantastic in a sense because we're, we're trying to, you know, build something that will be an investment of choice when it's not underinvested. When, when that generalist money and the allocation of funds that need to have, 
whatever, five to 10% of their, their money towards something like gold or harder assets. Mm. Um, we be one of those investments of choice with liquidity that's high enough to allow them to invest in our stock, but also to get out of it. And that's what a lot of investors need to know is they can get out when they need to. Yeah. So, okay. Um, can we just come back to the, the assets side, side of things? If you, you're getting a couple assets into production now. The ASIC is the ASIC. You know, I'm, you've got a good, we talked about your team previously. They're, they're been there, done it, got the t-shirt uh, kind of guys, but you're trying to lower the ASIC and increase the margins here. I mean, how much time and effort are you spending on that? Because we, we've talked about a, a lot about M&A now, but can we just talk about the projects themselves? You know, what have been the issues being this year that you've been trying to overcome? I, I always focus on ASIC because it, it, it suggests margin to me and talks about profitability, hopefully. Um, so what, what are the issues that you've identified that you're focused on with your team? Yeah, I mean, for Arizona and Brazil, um, you know, getting it ramped up and running smoothly is the first thing. And then working on actually making sure your costs are nice and steady and, and where you expect them to be. So the benefits with Brazil is we now are coming through that period. I mean, if all goes well, I hope certainly sometime early, ideally in Q3, we're getting into commercial production. Then we start measuring it on a on a ongoing cost basis mm. and the benefit at the moment we've been trying to make sure that all of our inputs and supplies are as cheap and um, as we'd expect in this type of market where I do think it's not a huge demand for things like cyanide and power etc in these remote regions um, I think labor has been pretty good to get uh, recently because Brazil hasn't gone through a great boom recently they're probably coming off some highs a few years ago mm. so we've been able to get reasonable, let's call it skilled labor in Brazil. Our supplies have been at reasonable prices. Power rates are pretty good in Brazil right now. We have hydroelectric power to the plant. And then, um, you know, I think we're setting ourselves up well with a good mining contractor as well that has great experience in Brazil. So our key components of the costs, you got to focus on locking them in, getting good contracts, getting good supply so you can rely on it. We've kind of come through that period now. And now if your mill is getting the good, good throughput, you know, your costs just sort of fall out of that. And the other benefit that we have no control over, obviously, is the exchange rate. And in Brazil right now, it's been in that 3.8 to 4 rei to the dollar. You know, historically, it's been lower. So there's been obviously the U.S. dollar has been strong. So it's hit the kind of other currencies, particularly, uh, you know, I know Australia, Canada, uh, Brazil have been weak, which is obviously a benefit to producers like us in that region. Right. Okay. And... Um... Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, think, I think that's true. The exchange rate does, is, it does hit people in different ways. Just, but just on that, I mean, th this is the whole point about the, you know, having multi-jurisdictional de-risking of, of your assets. I mean, you're America's focused. Um, will you continue to do that? Obviously, with this access to even more money than when we, we, we last talked, is that a key driver for you in terms of your de-risking process? Yeah, I think having four to six assets is ideal. Uh, maybe but, seven but or where, something. But where, where, it's it's America's focused. Is that is that we're going to stay with? It's what you know. America's focused. I'm not saying we wouldn't go east or west of that, but I think it's easier to run. Where our corporate offices in Vancouver time zones are extremely good for South and Central North America, and travel is actually pretty good. I mean, to get to our California sites, you can cover them both in a day from Vancouver effectively, and uh, Brazil's a bit further, obviously. But I think we can manage it fairly well in terms of time zones and communication and also travel. And we prefer to stay in that kind of time zone. Okay, okay. Um, 
And I just want to sort of, um, I want to talk about this 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 coming year, just in general terms in a second. But just remind people in terms of your remuneration, etc. I mean, you did tell us last time, but I, I thought it was it's interesting and worth repeating in terms of you you got um, some skin in the game, etc. Yeah. So the way that we've set this up, I mean. Myself and four of the other guys started out two and a half years ago here. We made the commitment that we were going to invest in the company. So at the time, we put in roughly two and a half million dollars. With my continual investments in that, we're probably up to four to five as a management team, which on a, for us on a personal level is a, is a big investment. Mm-hmm. Ross, I think, in the last year has put in about 60 million. And so in terms of board and management, we're fully invested. And these are not seed shares or cheap shares. These are buying in the market, buying in block trades, buying in financings, and doing it you know, reasonably regularly. So I'd say we're investing alongside shareholders and our exit strategy is really long-term. There's no desire to be selling anywhere along the way here. Right. And in terms of remuneration on the other side of it, um, you know, Ross is known to be fairly frugal um, as, a, as a shareholder and a chairman. And we've taken that same sort of stance. We set our compensation to be roughly in that fourth quartile. So the lower end of the scale, we'd like to see that performing in terms of share price particularly, but also on the assets um, will give us a bit more return because we've actually met goals and expectations. So we've we've done it a little differently and we've not also linked it all to options, which some people see as sort of free money. Mm. Um, so you have your base remuneration, which is fourth quartile, then you have your own investments, and then you have some long-term incentives that generally are linked more to performance. Right. See, I think it's worth pointing that out. And the, re- the reason is because, you know, people in chat rooms, forums, our subscribers, they go, they throw the accusation, well, yeah, they got some money in the game, but they're pulling, pulling these big salaries down. So they kind of don't care. They, they, it, it doesn't matter to them whether it works or doesn't work. They are not truly aligned with us. But what you're saying is a significant part of your wealth is invested in this business. You are directly lying because you're buying in the market, they're not options, um, and, and people need to understand that. Yeah, and probably on a personal level for me, I'm gonna say a third to a half of my investable net worth is in this stock. Right. Anything that I'm involved in as a manager or a board member, I put my own money in because I believe, why would you get involved in something and expect others to invest in it if you don't yourself? So right. we take it personally in that sense. Right, so so it's in the management's interest to make the right decisions. You've also got Ross, Richard, also Lucas Lundin. Is he still in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's still on a couple of percent, anyways. Yeah. Right. So, so you you got some guys who know what they're doing, opened a few doors, and you've got the capital to be able to deliver the strategy which you're working towards. I suspect that will that'll change as you find new assets or not and you'll ad- you'll adapt accordingly but uh, thanks for the update I think that's been really interesting to to hear there's a lot happened the refinancing is sounds fantastic the new investor involved sounds well I think a lot of people will be very jealous of, of that um, we look forward to sort of seeing more the you know the assets come on and the, the answers uh, start coming being poured yeah, no, appreciate uh, talking again and uh, maybe we do it again in six months and we'll keep keep moving forward. We're not going to sit still. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks, Christian. Appreciate your time today. Good luck. Speak to you soon. Thank you. 
thank you very much for watching our video. We do aim to give you informed and intelligent information with which to make your investment decisions. So if you liked what you just saw, please give us a thumbs up. And if you want to see more insightful, in-depth, honest and unbiased interviews, then please click the subscribe button. So thanks again for watching and we look forward to seeing you again soon.